Edmonton, in the London Borough of Enfield, home to many Londoners, including some famous people, such as rappers Black the Ripper and Tion Wayne, mathematician Brooke Taylor, and actor David Jason, whom is best known for his role as Delroy in Only Fools and Horses and Inspector Jack Frost in Touch of Frost. Britain sure know how to make a banging police drama from the Bill and Bad Girls to Line of Duty, which should tell you which era I come from. The 2011 census shows Edmonton's population was 50,473. The area is also known for their residents' involvement in supernatural activities. Apparently, a wizard resided in the area in the 1600s and a woman called Elizabeth Sawyer was accused of witchcraft and subsequently executed. A more recent joyous memory was on 25th of July 2012 when the Olympic torch passed through 4th Street en route to Haringey. Edmonton has history that keeps on giving, but as we all know, crime is always looming. Today, we delve into the murder of Michael Jones. Michael Alexander Jones was only 18 years old, studying for a degree in geography at Queen Mary College, University of London. University is supposed to be a time where people explore who they are, their interests and dislikes. You meet new people and visit new places. It can be a rough journey for many and very enlightening at the same time. So how does a young man who is supposed to kickstart his geography career end up mutilated in his own home? Michael's parents, Michael Jones and Kathleen Kirby Jones, were divorced. Michael lived with his mother in a masonette building in Edmonton. Michael's mother, Kathleen, met Gerard Tony Paul. I will be referring to him as Tony because that was his preferred name. He was 45 and he was from Enfield, North London. Tony was employed as a project officer. He was responsible for the delivery of the child protection database at the Department for Children, Schools and Families. Tony was also a divorcee and a father of two. Tony and Kathleen met in 2007 and they became romantically involved. Tony was romantic and showered Kathleen with jewellery and chocolate. Yeah, you know, I mean... You know, there's levels to being romantic in it, but I guess it's, yeah, it's romantic. When Kathleen lost her job at BT, Tony was there to offer his support. The couple lived in their own respective homes, with Tony visiting Kathleen's house frequently. Tony and Kathleen's relationship was going well until it wasn't. Tony's feelings for Kathleen may have been stronger than her feelings for him. Michael wasn't fond of Tony's growing presence either. He complained to his mother that Tony made him feel uncomfortable. Tony would treat Michael as a visitor in his own house when Tony was the visitor and Michael's concerns led Kathleen to tell Tony that he should visit less often. Tony was not happy about this and he complained to Kathleen frequently about Kathleen's close relationship with her son. What made matters worse was Tony muttered the enchanting words, I love you. And Kathleen didn't feel the same way. She stated, He wanted me to say I loved him. He wanted more than I was prepared to give. Kathleen said the conversation concerning I love you came up on multiple occasions, but she just couldn't say it back. Tony became possessive. He made attempts to stop Kathleen from seeing her friends. It is believed Tony's behaviour was a sign that he was encroaching on Kathleen's life and allegedly wanted to move into her flat that she shared with Michael. Kathleen broke up with Tony in February 2008 due to his concerning behaviour. Once she called a relationship off, Tony started hurling abuse at her. He wouldn't stop emailing and calling her and told her how many times he cheated on her. Like, okay, that's really going to get her back. You, She broke up with you and then... Uh, anyway. One month had passed since Kathleen and Tony's breakup. 
Kathleen was ready to live her life and move on with her son. However, Tony had other plans, plans that would take Kathleen's life forever. On the 13th of March 2008, Kathleen spoke to her son, Michael, around 9.30am, not knowing it would be the last time she would hear his voice. When Kathleen returned home from work at 5pm, she gently made her way through her house until she reached the room they used as a study. As Kathleen moved around the room, she found Michael's bloody body tied to a chair. His ankles, hands, knees and wrists were wrapped with brown tape. Kathleen started panicking and screaming Michael's name until she heard a noise coming from inside the house. The thumping sounds of footsteps running down the stairs. Kathleen knew within seconds she may be the intruder's next victim. She quickly placed her back against the wall and felt a hard push as the intruder tried to enter the room. Thinking on her feet, Kathleen managed to barricade herself inside the study by placing a chair underneath the door handle. Kathleen was living a nightmare of what many would describe a horror movie. I can't imagine the fear she must have felt whilst coming to terms that her son had been brutally murdered. When the police arrived on the scene, they saw no signs of forced entry, which meant Michael may have willingly invited the intruder inside the house. The intruder was someone he knew. Michael's injuries were extreme. The post-mortem report showed Michael died of a head injury made with a blunt object and a stab wound to the chest. Michael sustained 116 injuries. The Daily Mail reported the injuries included a large gaping wound to his cheek and several stab and slashing injuries as well as a multiplicity of curved injuries to his scalp. A blunt instrument has been used as well as cutting injuries to the head and neck beneath which were multiple fractures to the skull and facial bones. More than one weapon had been used yet none has been recovered. This has been a sustained attack. On the day of the murder, the Met Police made a witness appeal. Detective Chief Inspector John MacDonald stated that the police were keen to hear from anyone who noticed anything suspicious in Stanley Road or noticed anyone entering or leaving the family home. Hi everyone, I've got some exciting news. CrimeCon UK is still taking place this year and the only change is the dates. So open up your calendars and save Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of September 2021. In order to purchase your tickets, all you have to do is visit crimecon.co.uk. Get inside the mind of a serial killer and psychopath, learn from leading criminologists, hear from the families and survivors, meet your favourite true crime podcasters, Immerse yourself in forensic evidence and delve deeper into unsolved crimes. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend partnered by Crime and Investigation. I will be there all weekend, so come and join us. And don't forget to quote Handcuffed when you purchase your tickets to receive your 10% discount. See you soon. Once the police started investigating, they quickly looked into Tony Paul. Even though Tony was in a comfortable job with a decent pay, being a civil servant, the police realised he was buried in debt. Shockingly, day before Michael's murder, Tony lost a £600 bet on a horse called Sizing Europe at the Cheltenham Festival, which is a four days world class racing event, second most popular horse race after the Grand National. 
The day after the murder, Tony went to visit his daughter who was living with her mother at the time. Tony told his daughter to change her name and never contact him again. I mean, you wouldn't go all the way to your daughter's house to tell her that if you wasn't guilty of something. And to be honest, I think that's the best advice he could have given her because not only has he ruined Kathleen's, well, supposedly ruined Kathleen's life, her ex-husband's life and affected the lives of Michael, friends and family, but now his children have to reap what he sowed. They have to deal with the ramifications of his actions, which I think is unfair and cruel. I do wonder if his daughter did change her name or if she was just really confused at the time, because I don't think I would unless you gave me a really good reason. And let me know if you would change your name if your parent begged you to. If you haven't guessed by now, the police narrowed in on Tony and the evidence against him if you haven't guessed by now, the police narrowed in on Tony and the evidence against him started to pile up. Tony also quit his job four days after the murder. On the 20th of March 2008, seven days after the murder, Tony was arrested and charged. He appealed at Enfield Magistrates Court on Saturday the 22nd of March 2008. A raid had taken place at his home, however it was not clear what the police found, but it was alleged items from Kathleen's house had been taken, including items that Michael was wearing when he was killed. During the trial, Tony's friend gave evidence. The court heard that Tony told his friend, She's only got a year left on her mortgage. She's going to leave everything to her son. Tony was shady, okay? It appears he may have had another agenda when he met Kathleen. Why are you so concerned about her mortgage if you're just dating? Hmm. I wonder if he was planning to sway her into leaving the house in his name. During the trial, Judge John Bevan stated, You were playing with Kathy Kirby Jones' emotions and lying to her. I think you were after her money and Michael was an obstacle. Tony pleaded not guilty to the murder charge. He stated he was close to Mikey and he would never have done anything to hurt him. He continued to tell the court, I really liked him and had a genuine affection for him. I'm sure he likes me too. Ugh, that is just so narcissistic i can't even deal like i really can't this man tony claimed two yardie gangsters were responsible for michael's death he stated he met the two men at an illegal domino's gambling club they supposedly buried his car on the morning of the murder whilst he watched the chelton festival race in a drug den According to Tony, when the gangsters returned his car five hours later, they confessed that they killed Michael. Yet Tony was unable to give the police any valuable details concerning these gangsters. Like, let's just unpack that. Like, oh my gosh, he really, no, you know, he really threw in the word yardie to make it more, more scary. That's what I think. Because why? Why yardies? Okay, yardie gangsters. And I never knew that dominoes could get that deep. Like, how does playing dominoes lead to a murder? Like, what's the chain link? What's what's going on there? It doesn't make sense. And if these men, these yardie men, quote unquote yardie men, committed the murder, wouldn't you fight tooth and nail to prove you're innocent? I would be dashing names left, right and centre. I'm not going down for somebody that I don't know. Oh, murder. Like, come on. Detective Chief Inspector John McDonald stated, the story Paul gave in court about two yardies who he wouldn't name having committed the murder was quite frankly embarrassing 
embarrassing. It would have made things easier for Michael's parents if he had admitted his guilt in view of the overwhelming evidence against him and if he had told us what actually happened and why it happened. Unfortunately, he wouldn't do that. One article I was reading read, the circumstances around his murder, Michael's murder, were different because there was no youth on youth or gang element which I thought was really concerning to add to an article. Michael's death hasn't got anything to do with youth violence or gang violence, so why would you even mention it? We know knife crime has been rife for many years um, because this incident happened in 2008 and now we're in 2021. But the comments show that society, especially the media, is ignorant when it comes to black youth, to the black youth experience and to the black experience in general. Black youth are not allowed to have an individual identity because it seems like they're all painted with the same brush. So when you see an incident which doesn't involve youth or gang violence, then it's labelled as different, sort of like special. And I don't, I don't like it. They shouldn't have even mentioned that comment in the, in the article. Like I understand that maybe they're seeing it from a perspective as young people that have passed away before Michael were due to gang violence or youth violence or whatever. But that wasn't Michael's story. So don't try and push some sort of agenda. But anyway ran over judge bevan told tony this was a truly awful crime in which a harmless intelligent stewardess and law-abiding young man was butchered as some sort of act of revenge against his mother you were motivated by a mixture of punishment of her and a dislike of him for being higher up her pecking order than you i have no doubt you were after her money and michael was an obstacle your hypocrisy is unattractive in the extreme you planned to assault kathleen five hours after you killed michael but you were thwarted by her resistance Kathleen also made a statement. She said her son Michael was a high achiever, winning many accolades. In times where there are so many negative images of black male youths, he was such a positive role model. Gerard Tony Paul was convicted on the 18th of December 2008 and sentenced on December 22nd. Tony was jailed for life with a minimum of 24 years. At the time of his sentencing, the police made an appeal for Michael's belongings, which were taken from him during the murder and never recovered. These items included a 20-inch, 9-carat gold chain with a crucifix pendant and a figure of Jesus, and a gold ring with the initials MJ with three white stones on the M initial. These items were gifts from Michael's dad. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You know where to find me, Instagram, Handcuffed Podcast, Twitter, Handcuffed Pod. And let me know your thoughts on the case. See ya.